Mark chapter 2. This verses 1 through 12. And it says, And, who, and when he returned to uh, Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came, bringing him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified, and glorified God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. Today we are going to return back to our series in the Gospel of Mark, um, where we are meeting Jesus um, as Lord and King and seeing what kind of a king, what kind of a lord he is. And today, um, we're looking at um, a really profound passage. If you uh, grew up in the church, you're probably very familiar with this story. And maybe you have like these little pictograms, and you have like a children's Bible, where you have the picture of the guys opening up the roof, and they're putting their, their paralyzed friend through the roof so that Jesus could heal him. And that's a, that's a great story from like a Sunday school, um, little kids kind of perspective, but this, this is not some little kid story. <laughs> um, it's a complex story and getting at something um, and deep and actually very hard, <laughs> kind of hard. And, and so um, in, in this message that I, so I've entitled this message, uh, Loved Even More Than You Asked For. <laughs> That's what this passage is about, that the Lord wants to give you something even more than what you're actually looking for. And He's going to love you more deeply than you ever maybe even wanted, quite frankly. That's the way we really are. Um, we deeply, deeply don't underestimate the love of God and what He actually wants to give you. This is a passage where Jesus wrong-foots the people that are asking Him for something big and important. But then he turns around and he actually gives them something else. And so that's what this passage is about. Now let's get into it. Um, part one, uh, the outrageous claim. There is an outrageous claim made by Jesus and who he is here in this passage. We'll wrestle with that first. The outrageous claim. Part two, um, then we'll get into this thing I'm talking about. Getting more than you asked for or maybe even wanted. Getting more than you asked for or maybe even than you wanted. <laughs> and uh, part three, forgiving the sin underneath our sins. Did you know that the, 
There are a lot of things that you and I do, and you know that they're sins. You know they're sins. This is bad. This is sort of, sometimes maybe they're not even just actions. Maybe they're thoughts. Sometimes they're feelings. Sometimes our feelings are our are, are, are sins. Right? But did you know there's even actually a worse sin underneath those sins? Jesus is coming to forgive those too. We'll talk about that. So part one, the outrageous claim. Um, so let's just get into the story here. Um, we're, we're not too far into the, the gospel of Mark. And by this point, Jesus um, has a, clearly has a reputation. He's a miracle man, a good preacher and a miracle man. And um, so some people know, they've, they've actually seen the goods. Now, you know, some people wrestle. I, I, I could have preached this, you know, this passage from this angle um, of people with faith. They clearly have some, a, a manner of faith. Some people, oh, they must have really, really great faith. I'm not sure if their faith, I mean, Jesus says that they have faith, right? But um, there's a part of me that wonders even about that. Um, this, so this passage, the reason I say this is because Jesus is, um, if you just saw it, now, we're, we live in a very cynical, kind of like almost, we're almost allergic to miracles in our, in, in our time, right? That's really how cynical we are. Um, and so if there actually was a bona fide miracle, I even wonder if we would even believe it. And if, there actually was, if you actually witnessed a bona fide miracle, that might be the only way you would actually believe it. You and I, that's how we, how, how we tend to be. But, I mean, I think that some of these guys, they saw it. If you, I mean, the very previous passage, Jesus healed a leper. If you were there, you would know that's real. <laughs> um, the blind can see, the deaf can hear, uh, the lame can walk. These, these are things that are happening. Um, we had that, 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 uh, that, that difficult passage that we wrestled where, where Jesus is casting out demons. So you're watching a person acting all like really like wicked and crazy, and, then, and then, then they're like in their sane mind. I mean, you've seen these things. I think some of these guys saw these things. And if you saw it, you know it's real. <laughs> It almost doesn't take faith when you know it's real. And if you have somebody in your life, um, you have somebody in your life who has, a, I mean, paralysis. I mean, how much worse can there be? I mean, it's, it's got to be as ba a bad a thing as there, as there could possibly be. I actually know some people who have uh, paralysis. I told you about uh, the, the, the son of one of my dear friends who was born paralyzed. Literally, all he could do is like move his eyes. It's, it's, it's crazy, right? And... And these guys, um, they'll tear the roof off a house. <laughs> There's a lot of people at the house. Um, are they all there because they want to meet God? <laughs> it's a, but then something happens in the house. I bet you some people are just there because they, they just want to see something spectacular. That would be a pretty good reason to show up, seemingly, if you ask me. But then Jesus wrongfoots the crowd, and especially some of the people who are there among the more educated crowd. And he says this, this ridiculously, incredibly, quite frankly, unbelievably controversial and offensive thing, which is not, I will heal you, but son, that's what he puts it, son, your sins are forgiven. You understand, this is a Jewish community. And everybody here thinks covenantally. And so what, what do I mean by that? It's a really weird thing. I mean, have you ever gone to somebody and then, you know, like, if you ever came to me and said, I just go, your sins are forgiven. You, you go like, that's really weird. Why, why would you say that? Um, some of you might think that, 
like uh, as a pastor, I have some kind of authority to, to do that. That's, that's not true. There are some religions, and quite frankly, some branches of Christianity, that even says that the man who's a priest or the pastor I can actually grant that. No way. That is wrong. Right? And people who, and these Jews would never be confused about that. A normal thing is, if you committed a sin against somebody, they can forgive you, right? <laughs> so there's really only two people who can forgive you. One is the person you actually sinned against, but that's not what Jesus says. I mean, it's really weird. He, this guy didn't sin against Jesus. And he doesn't say, I forgive you the thing you did. This. He just says, your sins are forgiven, like in a blanket kind of statement. So let me, let me, what I mean by that, all relationships are three ways. I don't know if you know that. This is what I mean by thinking covenantally. Um, people who understand the biblical understanding of life realize all relationships are three ways. First, you have, your, you, know, you, you have your relationship with your husband or your friend or your boss or your neighbor, whoever. But if you sin against them, do you know that you first sin against God? <laughs> They're in, in, in a real way, I hope you don't think that this is a really boring and strange thing that Jesus says your sins are forgiven. If you've been a Christian a long time, that's a really basic piece of learning our sins are forgiven through Jesus. Great. And then, you know, since that's not so exciting now, we, we get kind of bored of that thing. But in, in a real way, there is no such thing as a little sin. And all sins are first against God. And, um, and all sins are the things that break deeper real relationships. It really is. I mean, um, if you're married and you have a certain sin that you do, you know, repeatedly, either... Either your wife or your husband either has to forgive that sin or you got to hide that sin from your spouse, which means in, in that, that, that portion of your relationship is broken. If they don't forgive it, then your relationship is in big trouble or it's ending. Um, but what does it mean when a man stands up there and just says, oh, your sins are forgiven? And in, in this culture... So immediately it says the scribes, they start murmuring, what the heck is he talking about? Because, so let me just give you, um, um, what, what are scribes? Scribes are the ones who write the Bible. That's their job. I mean, this is a, you know, pre-photocopying, pre this is pre-Gutenberg. I mean, Gutenberg isn't going to be around for a long time, all right? So um, the most prized thing in this culture is the Bible. And... And uh, the only way they can pass on the Bible is somebody writes the Bible. And so this is a top job in this society. <laughs> First, you must be able to read. You must be able to write. You must be able to write very well. You must be able to read and understand what you read. So these are the best Bible scholars there are. <laughs> and so they've imagine if you write the Bible. Okay, well, here, here's what it's like. You get a page. I mean, I forget what, you know, it's like a codex or something like this. They have different words for this. Nowadays, that's what we call it. But, and then you write this thing out. And then the other guy, you, get the, you give the page to like two or three other guys. Then they all read through it. And if there are like two errors, you know what they do that page? They burn it. And if you keep having these two errors, you know what happens? Then they fire you. <laughs> that's what happens. You lose your job. And, and then, and this is a top, I mean, it's very hard to get this job. And so, imagine how good you must be. Like one error, oh, that's one, one letter was spelled wrong. All the other guys have to be able to catch that, including you when you read the other guys. And then if there's two, they're, oh, sorry, burn this. That's how 
unbelievably serious they took the preservation of God's word. And so these guys, when they do this, they, can you just imagine doing this year in and year out? Every page, you literally, you can like even imagine it. So I know the way I'm going to write it. I even know exactly what's going to be the first word on top of the page. I know exactly how it's supposed to look. They're going to know their Bible inside out. And if a man stands up and says, son, your sins are forgiven, you know what he's saying? They immediately know what he's saying. He's saying, well, normally only somebody else can forgive sins, but I can forgive your sins because I'm God. You sinned against me. That's what he's saying. And there has been no culture that I've ever found that more offensive. We're, we're into chapter 2. Some of you wonder, like, how could a nice guy like Jesus possibly be crucified? Because this. Because of this kind of stuff. It wasn't like they had to wait later on. They're probably, they might have walked, I mean, imagine how crazy it must be that you can walk an absolutely spectacular miracle. And that's what this passage is intending you to do. Who the heck is this person? How can a person say blasphemy? Because no man could possibly be God, but then turn around and do this. That's what the passage is here to do. It's not just telling you that this person has power or that he has mercy and compassion, but the whole passage is actually getting you to recognize who the heck have you met. And to this day, this is, a, this is the most offensive thing about, about Christianity, quite frankly. And not even just that Jesus is not just a great teacher. He is God. <laughs> that if you don't receive and know Jesus, you don't know God. And so one of the things that a lot of people don't understand, why, why does Christianity's crazy offensive doctrine that if you don't know Jesus, you're going to go to hell? Because you don't know God. <laughs> it's really what it boils down to. How can you be with God if you don't even know him? But he has come, and it's just a really hard pill for a lot. I mean, the Jews didn't accept it back then. Today, um, the folks probably who would have as, as much, if not more problems, probably as much, probably at least as much, are Muslims. <laughs> Muslims cannot accept um, Christianity because it's that whole idea that God would like lower himself and put himself in one man is so offensive <laughs> that that would be a, a scandalous thing that somehow God would lower himself in such a way. And, but that's what's going on. Now, nobody said it better than C.S. Lewis. I said this to you, you know, I've been saying this the last couple of weeks, but let me say it again, C.S. Lewis. If you think that Jesus can just be a miracle worker or a good teacher or a righteous man who gives us a, a, teaches us how to live a better life, you are absolutely mistaken. That is, not, that is not one of the choices. Lewis put it this way. He's either liar, lunatic, or Lord. But he can't be just a good teacher or a miracle worker. And that's what this passage is getting at. Who are we dealing with here? Are we dealing with the Lord? Yeah, that's what we're dealing with the Lord. Now let's go to part two. Getting more than you ask for, or maybe you even want it. All right. Um, something else is going on here, too. And Jesus, as Lord, as God, this, this, is, this passage is a powerful commentary on how he looks at us. <laughs> um, you know, you and I, you, we can walk, we can talk. You know, we, we, don't have as, like, we don't have it as bad as this guy. He's paralyzed. So that's, that would be really completely horrible and terrible, wouldn't it? I, I, it is wonderful that, I mean, I imagine it's one of those four guys got to be his brother, his brother's, I met the miracle worker. <laughs> 
You know, if I could only just get my brother to him, then, then his life would be all better. Because Jesus will fix this thing, and then everything will be great. You know what? That thinking, that's how we all tend to look at life. We, we first run to Jesus because, you know, you want something in your life. that If you could just get this, this thing, if I could just get this good thing in my life, then, then everything would be so great. I'd, I'd be so fulfilled, and my life would just turn out so great. That's, that's what we're actually doing all the time. We're, we're, we're like this. But when God looks at that, he sees it as a kind of like really awful paralysis. I think that's partly why Jesus chose this exact moment to say this incredibly controversial thing. And then this would be recorded in Scripture for all of us to wrestle with until he returns. And so, but there's this, there's this, there's a deep problem. So when we first come to him, you have like some, some, some bad problem in your life. And maybe it's your sin or something, some, some deep problem. And then you go to, to the Lord and somebody told you Jesus is like actually the son of God. Maybe you didn't actually believe any of this stuff, but then maybe you actually got a bona fide miracle. Or you had something so deeply shameful or broken inside your life. And then when you actually gave that to him, you, you actually couldn't believe that somebody could forgive you and love you. And now... Then you have that first great, like, whoa, like, you know, that great first love for Jesus. Do you all remember that? And um, people are so excited about becoming a Christian and being born again, baptized, following Jesus and all this other kind of stuff. Maybe it happened to you many years ago. But then, but then, like, now that we actually got the thing that we want from him, actually, this, this thing, like, forgiveness of sins, it's, it, it actually... I have, the reason I don't regularly preach to you on forgiveness of sins is because I already know that most of you don't want to hear it. <laughs> That's kind of sad if you, if you actually think about it, that it's actually kind of boring to us. I'm talking about for the Christian. <laughs> um, for the person who comes into our church and doesn't even believe in Jesus, of course it's boring for them. They're like, sins, all right, forgiveness of sins, all right, whatever, all right? Um, but for the Christian, it becomes like a, a, a kind of boring thing. But this is really a commentary on, like, we come to the Lord and we want this. Can I get this? You know, and it could be something big, and even, even deeply reasonable. Um, I know people in there who have, um, you know, if you had a, a child with cancer, this, this would just completely suck all the oxygen out of your life, wouldn't it? This would be all you'd think about. I mean, parents, am I true? Is that right? <laughs> If I had one child with cancer, that is pretty much what I would wake up thinking about, and now to go to bed with that, probably every day. <laughs> and so I don't mean to be hard on this, but most of us don't have anything quite like that, or even looking for a miracle. Most of us would be just be like, can I get this job? And if I get this job, then, then boom, I'd get all this money, and then like, wow, then, then everything would work out. Or can I get this house? I mean, this is Silicon Valley. Could if I get this house, then we will, then we'll finally get, we'll, we'll, we'll actually finally have the house, and then we'll have the good school, and then all my kids will turn out so great, right? Or, 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 or maybe it's just something else for you, whatever that thing is. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to my mainstay, Tim Keller. <laughs> he has a, um, he's one of the great comment, he's one of the great commenters on the Bible. So I read commentaries, and then I go to Keller or a couple other guys that I really like. But he actually had a, comment, he had a commentary on this. And this is his book. Um, earlier edition was called King's Cross. I don't know why, but he changed the name to uh, Jesus the King. 
um, by Timothy Keller. And um, he said that his rest, as in, in, in light of this passage, he read an, an, an article many years ago out of the Village Voice, written by a woman named Cynthia Heimel. And he says he's never forgotten this article. And um, for those of you who don't know, uh, the Village Voice, that is not a Christian publication. Um, it's very left-wing and, uh, um, and, you know, probably a lot of things written in it are probably actually anti-Christian. Um, but here's what Cynthia Heimel wrote. She wrote, I pity celebrities. No, I really do. <laughs> celebrities were once perfectly pleasant human beings, but now their wrath is awful, <laughs> right? More than any of us, they wanted fame. So you get it? Maybe some, I don't know if you, you guys don't seem to be fame-hungry kind of people, but maybe secretly you are. They tend to go to like New York and L.A., <laughs> all right? But some people are coming to Silicon Valley. That's what they want. They want more than the money. They want to become a big shot. It's like, I'm a nobody, and since I'm a nobody, I'm nothing. But then if I get fame and make it, you know, because New York is one of those places where you have to make it in, you know, in either on Broadway or in art or, you know, or in the movies, you can make the movies to New York too, then now I'm somebody and like everything in my life will turn out great. So then, so she says, this, so they worked, they pushed, and they, they worked, they pushed, and then the morning after, they became famous. <laughs> they wanted to take an overdose. That's the way she puts it. Because that giant thing they were striving for, that fame thing that was going to make everything okay, that was going to make their lives bearable. That was going to provide them with personal fulfillment and happiness. And it happened. And then nothing changed. They were still them. The disillusionment turned them howling and made them insufferable. Um, ever notice this is kind of the way we treat celebrities? You know, they're, they're, they're so pretty. And then that, there's a movie in that you just love. And then don't we just love it later on when they start losing their looks? <laughs> it's just like, that's just all, what we realize. Like the, those, uh, those tabloids, they're never going to go away, by the way. Because that, that's, this is the real truth. Now, in this case, it's, you know, the, here was a pain point in their life, in this person's life. And if only the paralysis could be fixed, and that's a pretty, that's an incredible thing, isn't it? I mean, I don't want to be too overly hard on this because I pastor a lot of people who have, you know, over time they've, they've had, you know, there, there's people in our church who had cancer. There was, a, there was a brother in this congregation a number of years ago, he needed a kidney transplant. And that was the big pain point of his life. And so, Jesus knows, and who, I don't want to say to you that that's not an illegitimate piece of pain, but this passage is trying to tell you some hunger of something that you want so badly, this thing, it, it's not enough. Even after you get it, you know what? You'll still be you. And all your other sin issues and all the other things that make you angry or sad or depressed or, you know, jealous or whatever it is, will still be there. <laughs> you know, as I was um, wrestling with this passage, I was like, man, this is, 
This is like a, so not a fun passage. <laughs> um, I, I, I've pastored people, you know, this thing where you get like excited about Jesus, and then, and then he gets boring. Finding out about that, he forgave you of your sins, that becomes boring, and then church becomes boring, and Bible becomes boring, and like listening to the guy up front who talks too long is boring, and, and all that stuff. And then, and then you, you know, then you, we get a lot more interested in things of the world. Some of the people, I mean, I've pastored many people that get excited about Jesus. Three years later, they're not following Jesus. I have done that. I have done my cycles. Jesus gave me something I really wanted. <laughs> at, at one time, it was forgiveness. At another time, it was something else, some, some powerful gift. And then, and then I found out that really, at the end of the day, I'm still just, the, the one that really came to mind while I was um, chewing on this passage, and especially as I was uh, reading about the Cynthia Heimel quote. Um, so some of you know that, um, that, that I went to Stanford University. That's where I went for my undergraduate studies. Right? And so you know, this being an Asian you know, subculture, a lot of Asians think, whoa, that's like, that's like hot shot. That's, like, that's awesome, right? Um, but I, and when some people like actually say that to me, they're like, "Oh, they get all impressed that you know if they you know usually I don't ever say it and I try to avoid I, I, I'm not I, you know I'll wear I, I have a but I very much have a love hate relationship with Stanford, and I'm but, but when I say that that you know that means I basically hate Stanford. <laughs> when a person says they have a love hate relationship, you understand they they're telling you that they mostly hate. Um, I love Stanford enough that that's my school. You know, it's your school, so you know you root for your. You know, I root for my football team, and I like Andrew Luck and those guys, right? And I'll wear the Stanford red and the hat because that's my school. But, but mostly, um, I'm ashamed. <laughs> that's my school <laughs> because I wanted this thing so bad when I was in college. I mean, I was like sleeping four hours a night my junior year of high school. I wanted this thing so bad. And then when I got it, it was like, whoa. You know, of course, I, I, when I look back on the day that I got into the school, that was like idolatry. <laughs> that was like dancing around my God day. <laughs> That's really what it was like. Let me sacrifice to my God, Stanford. <laughs> right? That's what it was like. But then after I actually went there, you know what I found out? That I was the same person as ever. I was the same Wicked loser I was always been. And quite frankly, so was everybody else at the school. They're all the same. Well, they're smart wicked losers. Okay. The, 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 the wicked loser, that's the, that's the bigger proper adjective there. Okay. Smart is not so important. They're actually really, really foolish, including me. That's what I found out. It's kind of weird that we, you know, schools go up and down in terms of like what's the hot school. We're kind of back into a Stanford moment now. Uh, this is kind of sad. It's one of the most wicked schools on the planet <laughs> and one of the most pathetic of people who need to learn what Cynthia Hyman knows. That when you go to Jesus, can you please give me this? Can you give me this? You desperately will go to him. You will tear the roof off to go to him. To get him. I will do whatever it takes. <laughs> That's the way we mostly, we, we mostly come to Jesus first we, we're, we, we're like eager to do the religion. I'll do the religion if you give me what, it what I want. It's like a bargain, this deal. 
But the whole gospel is intended to give you more than that. Actually, the Lord has to take that off of you before you can finally learn what you really, really need from him. Let's go to part three. Forgiving the sin underneath our sins. You know, it's an incredible thing that Jesus will say, I forgive you your sins. Um, let me ask you something. You have somebody in your life that you love, and you could forgive them the little sins, but they have a sin against you that's really bad. Can you forgive them that one? How about if they keep doing it? You know, the guy was an alcoholic, serial, you know, uh, the, 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 the gambling addict, the woman who has like sex addiction issues and serial adulterer. Can you forgive that? In all your life, think about all your relationships. Your love will only go so far. <laughs> you, you're trying to have a relationship with this person. They have a sin. But actually, when it comes to God, we have a sin that's so bad but you don't even know it's a sin. You don't even see it as a sin. It's like the thing we do all the time. I'll go, I'll go back to Tim Keller again. He calls it, um, he calls it building your identity on something not God. Huh. You know what forgiveness of sin is intended to do? It isn't just intended to okay, now your sins are forgiven. Now you can just go live your life however the heck you want, and then you can go try to get your good life. No, that would be a real problem. That would be the problem that Cynthia Hamm was pointing out, the thing that I found out the really hard way. And I'm actually still afraid of it. <laughs> I'm still afraid that there's something in my life that if I just get this, you know, you, you know, at the beginning it might have been some school that you wanted to get into or how good looking I am or if my kid would just get like, stop behaving badly or something like that. But, you know, we just tend to just fixate on the next thing. I'm afraid of that. But building our life, our identity on something besides Jesus himself, that's like, we do that to God all the time. We do it again and again. That's like the most wretched sin. It's like the heart adultery we give to the bridegroom as a church again and again. And you know what he does? He forgives you. <laughs> he loves you even more than you know. So, one more time, back to... Well, to, get, to finish up, I'll go one more time. I'm going to read you a portion. Here, Tim Keller's actually going to C.S. Lewis, so we're going to C.S. Lewis. <laughs> um, so he says, C.S. Lewis put this, this picture, you know, this issue, so poetically in um, the Narnia book. Have you ever read the Narnia books? The Voyage of the Don Treader. I've read like two or three of them. I haven't read this one. Okay. So in the Voyage of the Don Treader, there's a boy named Eustace. And everybody hates him, and he hates everybody. He's selfish, he's mean, and nobody can get along with him. Now, maybe you're not quite as bad as Eustace, but if, if somebody who's like, that's, that's like, we all have some Eustace in us, okay? But he finds himself magically on a boat called the Dawn Treader, taking a great voyage. At one point, this boat pulls into an island, and Eustace wanders off and finds a cave. 
The cave proves to be filled with diamonds and rubies and gold. He thinks, I'm rich. You get it? That's the thing. That was the, the thing he wanted. A lot of us are like that too. If you just got enough money, then you can afford that house. <laughs> then you can send your kids to college. And all those you know, fights that you have with your husband about, about money, you know, that would just go away, right? Not true. <laughs> he thinks, I'm rich. And if you get this thing, it's the problem, then you're still you. Well, this is the way Eustace, you know, if he gets money, he would say, and immediately, because Eustace is who he is, he thinks now that now I'm rich, I'll be able to pay everybody back. <laughs> Anyone who has ever laughed at him and stepped on him, slighted him, now can get their comeuppance. I hope none of you are like that, that you want to get your money so that now you can be like better than all the people who ever gave you slights. Um, I'm afraid that that's probably not, if you're honest, that's probably not beyond you, is it? <laughs> so Eustace then falls asleep on the pile of treasure, which he doesn't yet know is the horde of a dragon. And because he falls asleep with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart, when he wakes up, he becomes a dragon. <laughs> Big, terrible, and ugly. You know, this is C.S. Lewis. This is C.S. Lewis putting into a children's novel what he understands from the gospel. There's a sin underneath your sins that you really are. And on the outside, maybe you look like a nice person, but really, you're a, you're a monster. <laughs> That's what it is. As you build your life and who you are apart from Jesus, you're going to be a monster. And most of us, we could feel this monster coming out. And every now and then it comes out and like it bites our kid or bites our wife or bites our friend or our mom or our dad. And then, and then we go, oh, I'm sorry. And then we, and then, and then we go back and do it again. Because <laughs> when you're a monster, you can't help being a monster. <laughs> Soon he realizes there's no way out. He can't go on the boat. He's going to be left on an island alone. He's going to be horrible all his life, so he falls into despair. So one day, the great lion, Aslan, shows up. So you guys all know that uh, Aslan in, 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 the, in, the, um, in the Narnia books, that's Jesus. <laughs> Jesus is the lion, Aslan. He shows up, and Aslan leads him to a clear pool of water and tells him to undress and jump in. And suddenly, Eustace realizes that undress means take off the dragon skin. He begins to gnaw and claw off the scales. And he realizes that he can shed his skin. I mean, because he's a reptile, right? You know, reptiles can lose their skin. Working at it, he finally peels off the skin, but to his dismay, he finds that underneath, he's got another dragon skin. He tries a second time and a third time to no avail. The same thing happens still each time. In the end, the lion says, you're going to have to let me go deeper. Have you ever, have you ever gotten to this part in your life? The anger issue, the depression issue, the greed issue, the lust issue, the thing that makes you reptilian. You think you're pulling it off? And then two months later, two weeks later, six months later, it's still there. So this is how Eustace says it. 
I was afraid of his claws, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. You know, sometimes the Lord lets something happen in your life and it hurts so much. And actually, we start shaking our fist at him. <laughs> it hurts so much. You're like, oh. And yet, have you ever thought that maybe this is a very loving lion named Jesus? He's loving you more than you even wanted. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times. Only when I did it, it didn't hurt. <laughs> and there it was lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the other skin layers I tear off. Then he caught hold of me and threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. Then I saw that I turned into a boy again. Brothers and sisters, you know what forgiveness is? This is the beginning process of this. He didn't just forgive you of your little sins or even the thing that you thought was your big sin. Maybe you had a porn issue. You, well, this is not my biggest sin. Or, or you have a greed issue or you have an anger issue or you have a depression issue and you think this is the biggest thing. But actually, that you would actually begin to build your life on something besides Jesus. That's the sin we keep sticking at him and stabbing him with again and again and again. And you know, in order, in order for him to love you, to love me, he would forgive that again. Unlike the way we are with our spouses or our children or our friends and our neighbors, that's as far as our love goes. <laughs> oh, you sinned against me that way again. Oh, okay, okay that, that, that's it. That's it. Can't take this anymore. You're out. <laughs> what did Jesus do? And I'll forgive you again. And one of these days you'll finally know, if you let me, I'll take that monster skin off. See, for Jesus to forgive, see, he wasn't going to do it like this, like, boom, I'll just fix you. That'd be nice. What he had to do was he had to love us, consistently forgive us. And then he had to go to the cross. The cross is here. So that all our monster dragon grossness would end up on him. And only then, after all the wrath that we deserve would come on him, then he could take it off, then he could defeat it, and then say, now I'll forgive you. <laughs> I'll wash you. And we'll keep loving you until you get it. What you need not is just this thing. We need him. <laughs> And only this way can he let, just love you in the thing. Please love me. Give me this thing that I want or this pain point that I have. No. Actually, he'll love you there, which is what he did this, to this man. 
But if he will go to the cross and then forgive us and then repeatedly forgive us, he could have us and love us forever. <laughs> More than you ever wanted. Can you begin to see this? Let's run to him. Let's pray. We long for, Lord, we have the title, son, daughter, your little boy, father, your precious, cherished little girl. And yet, we wake up every day <laughs> acting more like monsters. We'd rather have something from you instead of you yourself. And so, Lord, let us now go back and run to you. Forgiveness is not just about a problem that you solved. Forgiveness is the entryway to have you. <laughs> and for you to take all our reptilian, monster, dragon, our adulterous identities, and leave them behind and become truly little boys and girls cherished by you, Father, because of Jesus. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for not just giving us what we want. Thank you for giving us more than we even want. <laughs> giving us yourself and loving us forever. In Jesus' name.